Yeah, today we're going to be talking about flourishing. And I'm really excited about this series. This is one that's been put together uh, with five CTK campuses. We came together and thought, what could we do in the summer that would really help us grow closer to God? And some of the, as you know about summer, sometimes we're not all here in the summertime. And so we thought, what a cool thing if we could talk about how to flourish in Christ, specifically talk about spiritual practices that we could do uh, to help us grow in the everyday following of Jesus. So that's what we're going to do. We're starting a series called Flourish, Choosing Connection in a Withering World. And uh, let's pray before we, we get into it today. God, I thank you for this morning, and I thank you for everyone gathered here both in person and online. And Lord, we pray that as we talk about what it means to flourish as a follower of Christ, that we would see that uh, in our lives and in our community. God, we know that flourishing is not something that we create on our own, but it's something that your spirit does in us. So we ask you to do that and, and help us listen and hear what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So, um, yeah, we're going to start this morning by kind of by setting the stage um, in, in John 15. So I actually want to read that passage this morning, and we don't do this every week, but let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. It will be in—this is John 15, 1 in the NIV. It'll also be on the screen here. It says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So in this passage, Jesus sets the stage and he, he gives the disciples two choices. They can either flourish or they can wither. He makes it very clear that following Christ, there's two things we can experience. We can either experience a flourishing life in connection to God, or we can choose a withering life separate from God. Uh, you might know what it feels like to flourish and wither in your life. Maybe there's seasons where you felt like you've been flourishing, where everything seems to be going right in, in your relationships, in your job, in your relationship with Christ. It just seems to blossom. Things seem to be blossoming. You, you are full of the Spirit. You feel alive. But then there might be other seasons where you feel all dried up, all used up. Just not wanting to uh, open your Bible, not wanting to pray, not wanting to go to church in the summer. <laughs> you guys are here. Look at this. This is great. Um, not wanting to pursue God, and that is, is this idea that Jesus says is withering. 
And before we get too much into it today, I want to be very clear that Jesus is speaking to his disciples here. So if you haven't made that decision yet to follow Christ, I'm really glad you're here. And I want to paint a picture of the kind of life that Jesus calls his followers to have. And it's not a dry, dull life. It's a life that's alive and flourishing in connection to God. And that's the kind of relationship that he wants with you. I also hope you see that this decision to follow Christ isn't something you do once, but it's a choice that you make every day to continue to remain in Christ. I chose the NIV translation because I think it gets the the word, the Greek word meno, accurately. It says to remain in him. And sometimes it's hard to remain in Christ. We have a lot pulling at us in the world. And so, but that's the kind of life that God wants for us. And so the big question as we look at this series, as we talk this summer, is this. What type of relationship do you want with God? What type of relationship do you want with God? Because what this series looks at is that God sets the terms for what kind of relationship we will experience with him. Either either we can remain connected to him and flourish, or we can separate ourselves from him and wither. But he sets those terms. He tells us, what that will be like. We don't get to set the terms of our relationship with God. And so this summer is all about talking about those two realities, those two realities. And this summer is about helping us choose the flourishing life. So I was gone a couple weeks ago, and Brian preached and did an amazing job. I didn't get to say that last week on, on the third, but he did an amazing job. But Bonnie and I were in Colorado for a week, uh, CTK sent me and, and her out there. It's the first time in seven years we've had an extended vacation, just the two of us. So it was good. It was very needed, and we got to have a lot of fun. The purpose was to was rest and renewal, and we got to do a lot of that. We got time for hikes. We even got to see a, a counselor, which was good. In 17 years of marriage, Bonnie and I have never sat down with a counselor, so that was, that was good. Um, But honestly, the most spiritual thing I did on that whole trip was sleep. Can I get an amen in the house? It was sleep, sleep spiritual. And what I realized over this time, uh, like this period of my life where, you know, we, we were all in church planning. And then before that, I was director of a nonprofit and all this stuff is that I actually kind of gave sleep the boot in my life. Um, I actually said, no, you know what? I can power through. I don't need sleep. I'm 38. I should realize at this point in my life that sleep is a good thing. But I always thought I can overcome, right? I can, sleep is, is tyranny. I don't need to sleep. I need to work. You know, anybody feel that pressure? No? Good job, guys. Okay, a few people. All right. All right. All right. Be honest. Come on. This is a place of honesty and safety. But I just didn't value it the, the way I should value it. And so it was a reminder that, no, actually, it's a good thing, and you do need it. Otherwise, your sermons on Sunday will be incoherent. You need to sleep. So, um, you know, so I came back with that, like, practice. I need to practice. I'm, I'm committing, guys. This summer, I'm going to practice sleep, okay? Can you hold me to that? All right, thank you. I'm going to practice it in my life. It's very important, and uh, I'm excited for that. And you're like, okay, where are you going with this? Thanks for the personal update, Tyler. What are we actually talking about? Um, as we talk about flourishing this summer, sometimes we, so we, we look at, at flourishing and we, you know, like orange groves and stuff, and we think flourishing 
in with God is going to feel like an Allegra commercial, you know, where you're just walking through fields of lilies and it's just beautiful and the sun is shining and that's what flourishing means. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that that's not what it means as a Christian. You might have moments where the sun is on your face and you're walking through lilies and everything's beautiful and you don't have a runny nose. That might be true. But that's not actually what we're getting at. What we're getting at is the super practical. How can we have an ongoing, vibrant relationship with Christ? The practical. Practical and practices. We're talking about spiritual practices. What are the things that we do the small things, not the big things, but the small things that we can do every day to connect with God. What do we actually do to connect with God? Sometimes I feel like when I preach, I'm always saying at the end, I feel like it boils down to the same thing all the time. Read your Bible and pray. You know, it's like over and over and over again, right? But it's true. I hope you're reading your Bible. I hope you're praying. But we're also going to look at some other spiritual practices this summer. We're going to talk about rest. We're going to talk about celebration, confession, generosity, discernment, silence, and solitude. All of these things should be present in the life of a Christ follower. So we're going to look at those things. Sometimes when we run into a problem in our life or we feel stuck, we can look for big solutions. Anybody else like this? Look for big solutions. Like, sometimes if my house is messy, I think we just need a bigger house. <laughs> I don't need less stuff. We just need a bigger house to hold all the stuff. Have Anybody else think that before? Um, or you have a bad day at work, and you're like, it's time to change careers. Anybody? I've been there, right? Or, this seems like a popular one. I don't like Washington State anymore. I'm going to move to Idaho. Anybody else? <laughs> on the Idaho train. I did some research, because it does seem like I know a lot of people moving to Idaho, and so I did some research. This is what's really important in the, the message today. Um, did some data. In 2019, Washington was the number two state migrating to Idaho. Can anybody guess what's number one? California, California of course. California. Anyways, sometimes when we run into a problem in our life, we think the solution needs to be big. And the point of this message is that, and the point of this message and this series is instead of looking at the big solutions, we need to look at steady faithfulness. What does it look like to live a life of steady faithfulness in Christ? What does it look like to have Jesus as an anchor in our life, no matter the circumstances? Eugene Peterson called it a long obedience in the same direction. What does that kind of life look like? That's the invitation this summer? How do I remain in Christ for the long haul? How do I live out my faith in a way where my joy isn't squelched by my circumstances? And I hope you can see the importance that spiritual practices have in our lives. And so with that in mind, let's, let's evaluate. Uh, I want to ask this question. What practices currently shape your life? What are the small things that you do every day? If you made a list, what would be on that list. And then the second question is, are those practices helping you connect with God or the third life? David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group, which is the leading Christian research company in the world. And recently they did a research 
research project around young people, 15 to 23 year olds, and cell phone use or smartphone use. So they did this study, and they did a study with um, people who'd call themselves Christians and people who wouldn't call themselves Christians, people who go to church on a regular basis, and people who don't. Um, before I, I give you the results of this study, how, how many of you get, up like me, how many of you get updates on your phone each week of how much screen time you've had during the week? It's oh, <laughs> good. How many of you feel shame when you see that number pop up? <laughs> I do. I feel shame. Apple is shaming me every week. On Sunday, no less. Isn't that interesting that the update comes up Sunday morning? Anyways, the results of Kinnaman's research was pretty scary. He said, he said this, even using conservative estimates, the typical young person spends 20 times more hours per year using screen-driven media than taking in spiritual content. And for the typical young churchgoer, the ratio is 10 times as much cultural content as spiritual intake. He says, how can we hope to shape the hearts and minds of the next generation with the weight of information stacked against spiritual formation? Ten times the amount for young Christians. Stuff they just consume on Instagram, TikTok, whatever, as opposed to, as opposed to engaging God's Word. That could be a, a Christian podcast. That could be reading God's Word. That could be time in church. Ten times the amount. What is forming us? And for older Christians, it may look different. It may not be the smartphone, but it may be cable news. I know growing up, every night, my family would watch the local news, and then they'd watch the national news. It was, it was in stone in my house. It was always on. But now we have 24-hour news. And so as that came, like when I got into high school and that became a thing, the TV was on a lot more, just on. So we have to ask ourselves, what is forming us? What is speaking in to our lives? What is helping us to remain in Christ? And what is actually sucking the life out of us? What are we connecting to? And I think some engagement of culture is good. I don't want to live in a bomb shelter. I want to know what's going on in the world. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. But when we allow that to be what we primarily consume, does that shape our hearts towards love and good deeds? Or does it shape our hearts towards fear and holding back. So could you imagine if our, if our church, or if, if the church in general, wasn't distracted, but formed uh, by primarily the word? What if it was the reverse, right? What if we were spending 10 times as much time in God's word, in community, in worship, in these practices that are supposed to give us life? What if it was 10 to 1, uh, compared to the cultural content that we consume, that would be a life-transforming, church-transforming, community-transforming shift. Because as, as others have observed, they're, they're, uh, like, um, according to Jim Putman of Real Life Ministries, there's a lot of withering going on in the national church right now. There's a lot of withering. He gave some statistics that were really eye-opening. He said that the percentage of church-going men viewing porn regularly was about the same in the church as it was in the world. He said that only about 6% nationally, only about 6% of evangelicals regularly tithe. 6%.
So not living generous lives. He said that the 80-20 principle is true in most churches, which means that 80% of Christians are, are not serving. 20% are serving, 80% aren't. And I say that, and I know that in this church, most everyone serves, so I'm really thankful for that. But he also referenced individualism, consumerism, fear, racist attitudes. They're just as prevalent in the church as they are in culture at large, nationally, on a national scale. So if you look, if you look at what's going on in the church, what are we being formed by? What's forming us? What practices are we committing ourselves to? Because if I just read those stats, the church doesn't look very alive doesn't look vibrant. And I'm here to say the church needs to look different than that. And we can start right here. And I think that's what Jesus is telling us here in John 15. Um, let's look at it again. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus is the vine. He's the life source. And Jesus isn't just the vine. He says he's the true vine. He's the true source of life. He's what will ultimately bring meaning and purpose to our lives. Anything else we try to graft ourselves into won't give us life, but Jesus will. He will nourish us as we connect with him, and if we're disconnected from him, we'll shrivel up and die. Now, why does Jesus call himself the true vine? This isn't the first time in Scripture where God talks about a vine. This isn't the first time in Scripture where God talks about himself or, or uh, his work as a vine. God actually, in the Old Testament, talks about the nation of Israel as a, as a vine that he planted. In Psalm 80, verse 8, it says... You transplanted a vine from Egypt, taking them out of slavery. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea, and its shoots as far as the river. So before Jesus, the way God had revealed himself was through the people of Israel, was through a chosen nation. And he made them a vine that would hopefully bear fruit and reveal God to the world. But if you read the Old Testament, you realize the limitations of that vine, right? You realize that people on their own opt for idols and not God, right? And you see again and again repetitive cycles of disobedience and, and falling away. So they were the imperfect vine. They couldn't offer the life that Jesus could. So that's why Jesus says, I am the true vine. He's the unfailing vine. He's the vine that is not going to change or not repeat a cycle of disobedience. Uh, he will never let us down. So when we connect ourselves to anything other than Jesus, we run dry. It fails us. Jesus is the true vine. And you don't even, I don't think you even have to be a Christian to recognize this. Uh, speaking of cell phones, uh, anybody heard of the word doom scrolling before? Doom scrolling? 
It's a thing. It's like when you endlessly flip on your phone, whether it's video, Twitter, Facebook feed, you just endlessly flip. You can't get enough. They call that doom scrolling. It's not a Christian term. It's just something people realize, like, hey, this is kind of unhealthy. This is not good behavior. Just to endlessly scroll because you, it's like an endless pit of despair, right? You're just looking and looking for something to bring you temporary joy. And so I think people see, man, I, we can't just, like, live our lives like that. You know, we can't just live our lives connected to those things. They don't satisfy. When Jesus says he's the true vine, he's, he's saying you connect to me and you will be satisfied. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. So here we see our relationship with the Trinity come into focus. Jesus connects us to God and he says, God the father is active and tending to our lives tending to our lives. You think about what a gardener does. A, a gardener, and I'm assuming God's a pretty good gardener, right? God's actively checking the soil conditions, watering, like making sure that we are going to flourish, making sure that we get what we need. And then there's this scary verse. It says, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. So when you hear that verse, I hope you're asking yourself, am I living a fruitful life? Like, that's important. It's important to live a fruitful life. And in the, in the New and Old Testament, faith and obedience go together, right? Faith and obedience go together. We can't have faith and not live in obedience to God. And so he's saying if we, if we say we're a Christian, but it doesn't change anything of how we live, then we become useless. That's what he's saying. Uh, William Barclay said, uselessness invites disaster. Like, if you were, became useless in the eyes of your employer, that would not be a good thing, right? That would not be a good thing. Fortunately for us, God isn't our employer. It's not God the employer. It's God the Father. Praise God, right? So he's our Father, and he gives us grace to learn how to follow him. But he saves us for a purpose. And this is what he says for the fruitful. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, pruning, pruning is a, a garden metaphor, but this word also means cleansed. God cleans us. That that's a, might be a, a more helpful word to understand because sometimes when I hear the word pruning, I'm like, oh no, what's God going to cut out of my life? And that pruning is really like cleaning us, like helping make us more like Christ. Right? And that cleaning is not just a one-time thing. It's over and over and over again. And then in that next verse, it, it repeats that. It says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. That's God's grace. If you believe in Jesus, you've been cleaned. And he's continuing to clean you. That's pretty cool. And it means that God will continue to clean up our lives so that we can follow him more and more fully. He's going to continue that process. So he is going to continue to remove the dark areas of our lives, the areas of our lives that are out of alignment with him so that we can shine brighter, so that we can be more fruitful. And notice that it's, it's God's word that cleans us, right? So it doesn't start with just saying, I'm not going to do this anymore. It really starts with engaging God's word in what he says. And so I don't want you to go into a spiritual practices series thinking like, Oh man, what can I do to be a better Christian? I'm at a five right now, and I really want to get to a seven by the end of the summer. 
That's, that's not what we're doing. Um, I want you to go into this series thinking like, oh man, how can I get closer to God and let him direct my life? Because that's the point of this passage. God wants to be close to you. God wants to be close to you. He wants you to know him at a deep level, and he wants to pour his love into your life. God's not asking you to work harder. God's asking you to draw near to him. There's a difference between working hard for someone and truly loving someone by drawing near to them. I'll just talk about my marriage for a while, if that's okay. Is that okay? I didn't check this with Bonnie at all. So we'll see. Eh, we'll see. Sure. She loves, she loves it when I do this, by the way. She absolutely <laughs> loves it. Um, no, I can work hard for my wife for a lot of reasons other than loving her. I can work hard for my wife because I love me, right? I can, I can work hard for my wife to appease her instead of seeking to please her. Does that make sense? Like, I can work hard because I, ultimately I want to do what I want to do. So it, it, earlier in our marriage, not now, earlier in our marriage, um, I kind of got into that trap of appeasing, like working, doing the dishes in the yard and all this stuff, and then saying like, yeah, I wanted to go for a hike this weekend. And then if Bonnie said, well, I really want to do this thing, I would bring up everything that I did, right? Like, but I did all this stuff, you know? Or you, you appease someone, not because you love them, but to get something in return, Right? And that's a bad cycle. That was a bad cycle in our marriage that I'm thankful to say that we've, we've grown out of. We're not bartering anymore, right? Sometimes marriage feels like that's just bartering. That we're, we're not in that place anymore. We're asking each other, hey, how are you doing, right? There's real concern. We want to be together, not just to get what we want, right? But because we actually love each other. And God wants us to be close to him so that we can have a fruitful life in connection. It's not economical. We tend to think in terms of economy. I do this for you, and you do this for me. That's not the kind of relationship that God is looking for. Not transactional. Like grafted in, completely unified. Love. So what does it mean to be fruitful in Jesus' eyes? It's not hard work, nose down, exhaust yourself for the church. Like that's not what it is. Let's look at what he says in verse 9. It continues. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last and so that whatever you ask in my name the father will give you this is my command love each other so i don't know about you but i see the word love in there a lot i see the word love i see the word friendship 
Like, really think about what kind of relationship God wants to have with you. And then he talks about commands, but what does he say at the end? He says, this is my command, love each other, right? That is a lot of love. He says over and over again, to obey is essentially to love. And he makes that connection. So here's my question for you. If you think about the relationship that God wants with you, one of love and friendship and connection, my question for you this morning as we close is, are you living in the love of Jesus? Or are you just working for him? Or are you apart from him? The real question of life is, are you living in the love of Jesus? Because love is compelling. Love is compelling. Love is secure. Sometimes we can get the wrong idea that we have to work hard to appease God. That's not living in God's love, right? That's not living in the freedom of grace. We need to realize that God loves us, and he wants our joy to be complete in his love. He says that. He says, I've told you this. Why did he tell us this? So that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. The ultimate goal of Jesus sharing this with us is that we might have joy. Not be stuck in, in burden and, and, and cycles of discouragement, but to have joy. Jesus wants you to experience joy, and our only source of true joy is friendship with Jesus. So that's my invitation to you this summer. Be Jesus's friend. How about that? Be Jesus's friend. And I realize this summer that we're all in different places, and so my invitation for you, three words, either start a friendship with Jesus— Renew a friendship with Jesus or strengthen your friendship with Jesus. You might need to start it. You might need to renew it or you might need to strengthen it. Some of you may need to start that. You may need to see if if Jesus is good. First, is he real? And then second, is he good? Those are two good questions. I hope you explore that this summer. Some of you may need to renew that friendship. Maybe you're in a place in your faith where you feel withered. You feel dry. You feel used up. You feel, I don't want to say done, but you feel, maybe you feel like being done. If that's you, I want to invite you to be renewed. There's a pastor named Glenn Packiam who said, sometimes as Christians, we need to dig new wells. We need to dig new wells to find life. In Christ, and that's what that's what these spiritual practices are about. Some of you may need to strengthen your friendship with 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 Jesus. Maybe you've been working really hard. Maybe you've been working really hard, but maybe you've been working to appease God rather than find joy. Maybe you aren't finding joy, and I hope this series helps you dig new wells to find joy. This could be an invitation to simply slow down. Sleep if you need to, it's helpful, and enjoy Jesus this summer. But wherever you're at, I hope you make the most of this invitation, and I hope you work on that friendship with God this summer. Let's pray. Jesus, I'm thankful that you're not our employer, but that you are our our friend. 
Father, I'm thankful that you're not our employer, but that you're our Father. I'm thankful, God, that you relate to us on the most human and intimate of ways. That you're not looking for servants, like you said here in John 15. You're not looking for servants, you're looking for friends. God, you're looking for people who love you. And Lord, I pray that you would stir a heart of love in all of us right now. I don't know the weeks we've been walking that we, we bring into this place. I don't know if it's ex exhaustion. I don't know if it's already joy, and you just want to build on that joy. But God, I pray that you'd meet us where we're at. Lord, that we would dig new wells. God, if we feel dry, and if we feel like everything in our spiritual life is mundane and routine, help us to dig new wells. Help us to experience you in new ways. Not the same old, same old. God, you're not about routine. I know that. You're not about routine, God. But Lord, help us to find you in the, in the big things and in the small things. Help us to be willing to humble ourselves and do the small things. And Lord, I pray that as, the, as we fight different desires, the, the flesh and the spirit, as we fight different desires in our lives, God, just give us victory. Lord, this is a work that you want to do in our lives that we simply need to allow to happen. So if we've been fighting against it, I pray that you'd help us to surrender. Uh, surrender to your love, surrender to your grace, surrender to your provision, your guidance. Lord, we pray for that this morning. I pray that you'd fill us, God, with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, why don't you stand with us? We're going to close in worship this morning. It's great to be with you. Again, let me know if you want to get uh, baptized this summer. And uh, yeah, let's close in worship. <laughs>